You climb a ladder. You grab the briefcase. Inside that briefcase, a contract. That contract guarantees you an opportunity to become WWE Champion. Wait a minute! Money! He's gonna money, cash it in! Hey, uh, yes! Reach up and go for it, Randy! This is it! We're about to have a new champion! Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is dedicated fully to the memory of the legendary and one and only American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. But anyway, I know you, I got to go and you guys got to go, but uh, you don't want to miss this, thing, man. We need the money. We need the wall. We need the history. We need the memories. And uh, Joe's trying to make that happen, and we all want to pitch in and make that happen, as you guys have here. So I'm very, very excited about it and being able to talk to you, and you spread the word on it. Well, Dusty, it's been our absolute pleasure and our dream come true. And we didn't get a chance to talk about all the great moments, including, and how can we forget, your epic turn on WCW to join the NWO. But that'll be a different talk for a different day. That was not epic. That was a bullshit thing I did in one night just for the hell of it. That wasn't even epic. That wasn't even a turn. I mean, come on. I wanted just to prove that night that I was just said. Back there with his mouth open, the people nearly had a riot when I turned. On Larry Zabisco, of all people. Holy Christ. Let's do your Hall of Fame speech again. Let's go for 90 minutes about Bruno at the swimming pool and you in the hedges. Um, anyway, I appreciate it. And like I say, the 11th this week, you got to be there. It's a special moment for the building, for us and for the history of, of what it meant to Florida. And hopefully the kids can understand a little bit more about the way I feel about it, and obviously you guys, and history of our business. So thank you very, very much, guys. Talk to you thank later. You, Anytime Dusty. you want to call me about something else, next time just bring money. It'll be different. Obviously, I'm doing this as well, but <laughs> no. It sounds good. Thank you, kids. American What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Wooga Man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. 
Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid up, they knew they could kick shit out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are... Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling! is the two-man power trip of wrestling and you are listening to episode number 275 of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast brought to you today empowered by the crockett foundation head on over to crockettfoundation.com and find out the mission statement behind the crockett foundation bringing the memory of jim crockett senior and all of the charitable endeavors that he personally was behind at crockettfoundation.com as well as find out their history in professional wrestling and professional baseball and all the wonderful things that they do for U.S. military to this day. And it can be found at crockettfoundation.com. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. And John, first, we'd like to take a second and thank WWE for bringing this week's show to the airwaves, as well as helping us with these Dusty Rhodes clips that we have provided for this episode, which is our second annual Dusty Rhodes tribute show. And John, you're going to get into a little bit more of the story behind that, but today's episode, yes... It is the second annual Dusty Rhodes Tribute Show. And if you know anything about our history and you've heard us say it a million times, we had the absolute privilege to conduct Dusty Rhodes' final interview before his passing back in 2015. And it's something that we both, we hang our hat on, but as well, we kind of look back at it with a little bit of a scratching our head scenario because it's great to have interviewed Dusty Rhodes and obviously, when you see the caliber of guests that we have, Dusty Rhodes is at the top of that list, and we've interviewed so many of his contemporaries and so many people that he worked for and worked with, and it's just it's so crazy to look back and think that he did pass away just a mere two days after our episode 
both recorded and aired, and it's something that, to this day, we would never be where we are today if it wasn't for that interview with Dusty Rhodes, because it opened up doors, it helped lead us to other interviews as well that uh, I don't think we would have gotten had we not had Dusty on the show, and what we want to do today is exactly what we did last year, and we are going to feature a brand new interview with one of his greatest rivals, a former guest returning, coming back all the way from episode 105, and that is Tully Blanchard, and when you think about Dusty Rhodes and Tully Blanchard, you think about a war, you just think about an absolute blood feud that had every kind of stipulation match from that day that you could possibly imagine, and it went on for years and years and years, and we bring Tully Blanchard back to the two-man power trip of wrestling to get his perspective on the passing of Dusty Rhodes, as well as honor his life and his legacy, and I just I can't thank Tully Blanchard enough for coming back on to talk about Dusty. It's going to be about an hour-plus interview with Tully, specifically only on his feud with Dusty Rhodes, as well as his interactions outside the ring and meeting Dusty Rhodes when he was just a kid. And it's just an unbelievable walk back down memory lane for Tully Blanchard and his history with Dusty Rhodes. But then after Tully Blanchard, you're going to get a little bit of a sample of some former episodes featuring stories about Dusty Rhodes. You're going to hear from his son, Cody Rhodes. You're going to hear from previous episodes with Baby Doll that just aired not too long ago, but we're going to throw out her great story about Dusty Rhodes. And I'm going to throw a couple other little uh, nice Easter eggs in there, and I'll let you hear them yourself. But still, specifically, the big one is Cody Rhodes. And we were able to talk about his dad and talk about our connection to that interview and kind of get his take on the passing still at that point it was a little over a year and it's just an amazing chat with Cody Rhodes so we're going to throw that on the end of this episode with Tully Blanchard as well as some other great clips from some of his other past opponents past friends and just everybody who was wrapped into that world of the American dream is all going to be on this show today and John I'm going to cut myself a little bit short here and I want you to get right into the show here with Tully but tell us a little bit about Dusty Rhodes. Obviously, you had the main interaction with him. You still say to this day how that message just still touches you that he left you before we had the interview started. So please give us the history of Dusty in the show again, as well as tell us more about the Crockett Foundation and what we have in store for everybody today on this second annual Dusty Rhodes Tribute Show. Yes, Chad, this is quite a special episode to the two-man power trip of wrestling. And, of course, again, just want to thank the Crockett Foundation. Head over to CrockettFoundation.com and support them for sure. They have some awesome swag, if you will. There's some awesome Crockett Foundation shirts, some from horseman shirts. They got some books, stickers, some awesome, awesome stuff and a great trip down memory lane for sure. And with the Crockett Foundation, of course, they're paying the veterinary bills and food costs of those beautiful dogs who were once active duty, retired military dogs. So that's awesome as well. Uh, they pay for the training of all service dogs and emotional support dogs for the veterans and those veterans that are in need of canine companions they are the go-to they really really are helpful they really really support this and i love it because they improve the lives of the veterans who are working towards mental and emotional stability obviously a lot of them have ptsd and the uh, Crockett Foundation is really going above and beyond to help them. So please check out CrockettFoundation.com. And hey, while you're there, maybe pick up a four-horseman shirt as well because a lot of the proceeds will go to the charities 
that they are associated with so it's awesome and obviously a lot of the proceeds will go to the veterans whether it be service dogs or veterans alike so please again one more time check out the crockettfoundation.com and as we start to move on here again of course we have to do a special thank you to the wwe and kevin dunn and his office for letting us use the dusty clip you know a couple years ago we did have the opportunity of interviewing dusty and we obviously as you know everyone should know by now was the last interview that dusty ever did and we were absolutely honored and privileged to have this but obviously now it is in the hands of the WWE and kevin dunn and just want to send a special thank you to him and his office for being so accommodating to us so great and so nice so just wanted to say again thank you kd Thank you to the WWE. We really, really appreciate the support of Dusty. And really, really appreciate you letting us use one of the clips. Now, also, one other thing just to get out of the way, but not really get out of the way, is a big, huge thank you to Dick Bourne and Dave over at the Mid-Atlantic Gateway. Absolutely awesome Four Horsemen book that they put out. And how does it connect to this book? Well, you can't really talk about the Four Horsemen without talking about the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. And with our guest today obviously being Tully Blanchard, and arguably Dusty's best feud being against Tully Blanchard, and Dusty having such a major role in the feud with his, the feud he had, excuse me, with the Four Horsemen, you gotta talk about that book, the Four Horsemen book. Go over to Mid Atlantic Gateway, buy yourself a book because Tully versus Dusty is covered big time in there and i just wanted to give a big shout out to dick and dave yet again because the book is awesome and i just love going down memory lane and i just love the fact that we have on tully we're talking dusty for this over an hour this episode and obviously we got some tributes at the end there but i just love that i can just go look in this book and say oh wow let's talk to dusty about what was covered in the book here or you know use it really really as a great research piece and it's just unbelievable book it's a super quick read as well so please go to the mid-atlantic gateway and check out that four horsemen book as well now, moving on to Dusty and this episode, and this being our second tribute to Dusty, just awesome to be able to, to have Tully on for the amount of time that we had him on and just talk the Dusty feud. I mean, we go all the way from 84 all the way to 88. We talk about everything to do with their feud, whether it be the TV title, the national title, the U.S. title, war games, all of their gimmick matches, Texas death match, uh, Indian strap match, cage match ladder match barbed wire match barbed wire ladder match I mean, we go in depth and we go deep with all dusty and telly matches we go in depth into their feud we talk a little backstage stuff just an unbelievable talk that we had with tully last year was magnum and that was awesome if you want to check that one out uh, this year we go tully so we get a guy that is super close to Dusty as far as the wrestling business was concerned. We talk about personal things as well, but this is great. To be able to talk to Tully about one topic for an hour is unbelievable, but throw on top of that 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 topic is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. The guy that you can probably put up there on the Mount Rushmore professional wrestlers, Dusty Rhodes, it just goes to show it's even better. I mean, it's just unbelievable the amount of time that he, we got to talk about Dusty. It's totally cool totally awesome and we are honored to be able to put this tribute out and we're just totally totally honored to be able to throw up some clips like chad said whether it be uh, jerry briscoe or steve kern or even 
Dusty's son Cody had some great things, obviously, to say about Dusty. Baby Doll as well. So it's pretty damn cool what, uh, you know, Chad, you, you put this thing together. But it's pretty damn cool what you were able to, you know, edit together, putting the clips together. Obviously, us getting the chance to interview Tully, WWE letting us use a Dusty clip. Crockett Foundation being on board, Mid-Atlantic Gateway being on board. I mean, this episode is the biggest episode in the history of TMPT. It's just awesome to be able to honor the memory of Dusty like this and really play a, a key role because, you know, I mentioned it before on this show, and, and I don't want to, you know, really you know, beat it to death here, but definitely had a great connection with Dusty. Obviously, we didn't know each other well. You know, I met him before, uh, you know, at wrestling events and stuff, but you know, two years ago, before we had the chance to have him on the show and interview him, I had a few conversations with him, and it was pretty cool, and, you know, he's calling me Johnny and stuff, and, you know, he's getting friendly and, and asking me some personal stuff, so it was really, really cool, you know, to kind of, you know, you don't really know him, but like so many guys have said, he makes you feel like he knew him, and he just really felt a strong connection with him, and it was so cool, and I still have a voicemail from him saved onto my phone, which I will never delete, uh, so just you know, really, really cool stuff with him, and it was just great, even for the, the small amount of time that we were able to talk off air, it was just awesome and totally cool, and it was definitely a, you know, quote-unquote, mark-out moment for me, it's like, oh my god, this is Dusty Rhodes on the other end of the phone call, I mean, this guy is a wrestling god, he is one of the greatest of all time, and, you know, he's talking to me about, you know, god knows what, and setting up the interview, and this and that, so just uh, awesome for me to have that moment and kind of have something saved in my phone from him is totally cool and like i've said before and i'll say it again i mean we are completely and totally honored that we're able to do this and put this episode out and have dusty kind of be a part of tmpt history because we wouldn't be where we are today without dusty really putting us over and really putting us on the map so thank you dusty thank you for all the memories thank you for everything you are the man and of course you everyone out there you know sit back relax enjoy you are going to enjoy a great one we're going to get some clips and we're going to get some telly blanchard talking about the american dream dusty Rhodes. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes tribute episode is somebody who couldn't be any more fitting to talk about Dusty Rhodes than one of his greatest opponents. Of course, he's a man who needs no introduction. He's a two-time NWA World Tag Team Champion. He's an NWA United States Champion, a four-time NWA TV Champion, a WWF Tag Team Champion, and of course, a WWE Hall of Famer. When I hear his name, I put up four fingers, and we'd love to welcome back to the two-man power trip of wrestling. The one and only Tully Blanchard, thank you so much for joining us. Guys, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Uh, we are, uh, we're so happy to have you back. But, of course, it's always with a grain of salt. We, we don't love the, the topic, but it's always great to celebrate the history and the life of Dusty Rhodes, of course, approaching now the two-year anniversary of Dusty's death. 
And uh, there's so much to talk about and so much to, uh, to catch up uh, with you. But first, I guess, you know, we, we had you on episode number 105, if we can all believe that. But I guess, uh, how are things going in the world of Tully Blanchard? Well, things are uh, moving forward, 63 years old. I'm, I'm working out, staying healthy so that uh, we don't have any memorial shows about me anytime soon. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. You know, you are doing a lot of stuff. I'm always seeing your name pop up. You're doing a ton of uh, ton of the conventions, a ton of events, and we'll be talking about that at the end of the episode as well. Something we have planned with you down the line. But I guess uh, you know, first things first, we'll jump into it. We're approaching two years uh, from Dusty's uh, passing. It's uh, crazy to believe, especially with all the tie-ins that he has with our show. Uh, but one thing that I found very interesting in uh, you know just kind of going over some things is that. You found out about Dusty's death uh, while you were flying to do an interview for the uh, the NWA Legends Fan Fest, and uh, that's got to be a hell of a way to uh, to find out about a colleague's passing. But if you can, can you take us back to that day and the uh, kind of the reaction that you had once you found out and were barraged with all the messages and calls? Well, it, it is you know I've seen Dusty at a number of uh, Legends shows and. You know, you talk in passing and, you know, not really have an opportunity to have long uh, conversations. And uh, I was flying to Charlotte to be uh, part of the Fan Fest. And uh, when I landed and turned my phone on, I mean, it just exploded. And uh, um, Dusty Passing. And I, when I saw uh, Arn and and them, I mean, I didn't I didn't really know that Dusty was was sick because the last time we spent any time with him was in 2012 at the uh, uh, Hall of Fame induction when he he did uh, such a great job inducting the Four Horsemen. And um, uh, God, I just I just really went uh, kind of surreal because I, you know, my dad passed in 2012 and uh, there's so many ties between my dad and Dusty that uh, people may not know. But, you know, I mean, I'm still, I was still processing uh, that, still am today, uh, pro- processing my dad passing and that's and that's been five years ago and um now dusty two years i'm when you said that i just i just kind of had to take an, an extra breath and go gosh it's been two years already and uh truly time just uh keeps on going and and uh it, it's just amazing how how quickly time goes and uh but it, it is, uh, I, I, I don't know if you guys know, Dusty's very, very first main event was my dad booked him in it. And uh, down in Harlingen, Texas. And uh, that was kind of a neat watching those two. Uh, I, was, I was in high school and, and uh, just starting to hang around the dressing room a little bit. And... Uh, uh, it was 
I believe it was a sellout in the little building that that they were in uh, down in Harlingen, and uh, Dusty's very first main event payoff. I can I can remember my dad giving him the envelope with the cash in it. So, a lot of history there. That's unbelievable. I definitely did not know that. That's uh, that is a hell of a piece of history to. Uh, to let out so early here, but I guess I got to start in the proper spot, and that is, uh, you know, what are some of those first impressions you had of Dusty, of the interactions with your dad, and of course, seeing him in that first main event, obviously your dad saw something then in the charismatic nature of Dusty Rhodes, or saw something in Dusty as a young competitor that he felt confident enough to put him in a main event. Well, you know, Dusty started out as a heel, so I mean, it it was... uh, you know, he always had charisma and always had uh, very flamboyant and had a lot of confidence in himself. And, you know, I was still in, in high school and college and playing football, and, and he was also one of the West Texas guys uh, that uh, went into professional wrestling, which there's a huge group of guys, including the Funks and Bruiser Brody and uh, Tito Santana and myself and Ted DiBiase and uh, Stan Hansen and I know I'm missing somebody but uh, anyway but Dusty was in that group and uh, you know when when Dusty left working for the Dallas territory back in those days and went up and him and Murdoch went to to uh, I think it was work for Vern and uh, then Dusty ended up down in Florida uh, as a heel. And then the probably the most powerful switch bad guy to good guy of anybody in, in, in the business was when, when Dusty switched babyface down in Florida. And uh, I wasn't in the business yet. I was still in college. But it was unbelievable the impact that that had, and it carried throughout his entire career after that. Yeah, he became the uh, the American dream in Florida, and he uh, that's one of the things that he talked about in his interview with us was that, you know, they needed somebody down there. They needed somebody that the fans could believe in. But, you know, I think other fans, and especially newer fans that know the big, lovable Dusty Rhodes, could find it hard to believe that he was a heel at one point, but him and Dick Murdoch together were one hellacious tag team, and definitely uh, they left their mark in the ring and both outside the ring uh, in some legendary, uh, some legendary ways there. But if you can, share some memories of Dusty as a heel, because like I said, I think a lot of fans just know Dusty as the big, lovable babyface uh, and don't really know too much about that heel side of Dusty. Well, I, I know very little of the heel side other than he was a heel. Um, because, you know, I wasn't, I was just barely starting to hang out in the dressing room, uh, a little bit, but I mean, I was in high school and I was in, in college and, and far from the wrestling business until I started refereeing, um, in, uh, my sophomore year in college and Dusty was already switched and, and, a and a superstar legend, uh, down in Florida and Georgia and, and uh, all over the country with uh, when uh, uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling was on uh, the Superstation. 
Right, and that's obviously where he got the big mainstream uh, success, and he started to get that crossover across the country, not just into the territories. But then I guess we'll move forward then. And where did you kind of cross paths with him professionally? Was it down when you got into – basically, what was the first territory you guys kind of met each other again, but now you actually in the business as a, as a wrestler? When I, when I graduated college in 1977, I graduated uh, – I finished all my class requirements at midterm – so um, I, I actually got a job working for Eddie Graham down in Florida, and Dusty was there. And so it, it was impact right there. I mean, it was, uh, you know, just a young, green, uh, wet-behind-the-ears uh, young guy that thought he was going to be a babyface. And... and uh, you know, and you watched matches, and and you saw. Dad always told me to watch the the, the people that are making the money. And uh, so you watch the main event guys because they're they're either getting it done or not getting it done. And uh, back in the in the territory days, the ones that got it done and got it done a lot of places, there was a handful: Dusty, Wahoo, uh, on on the babyface side. And and then the funks and and you know there was a, some talent that was that were stars everywhere they went. There were a number of people that were, were stars in in uh, certain territories, but were never really stars anywhere else. And so as I was uh, learning and and creating what. I didn't even know I was creating at the time, but, but, you know, watching Dusty work and watching the crowd reaction and watching all that stuff, because I'd refereed for three years, I, I knew a lot of stuff, uh, what was going on, but then how to do it uh, and how to make it happen was still wasn't there yet. And, uh, but, you know, I was, I was there from January until May and then, uh, uh, went up to North Carolina uh, and worked, but and Dusty made some shots up there. So you know the interaction was kind of uh, uh, hit hit and miss at that time. And not only did he become you know the star that he was in Florida, but he also really learned a lot of the inner workings of the business and under the uh, the tutelage of Eddie Graham and somebody who he cited just. Basically, in every interview that he did, he always talked about Eddie Graham's influence on his career, not only just, you know, what he did professionally, but as a booker. But I guess, did you get to see that in the time you were down there while uh, you guys were both in Florida, that the influence Eddie Graham did have on him? Well, Eddie Graham, and, and certainly I'm not trying to make this about me by any means, Eddie Graham took a special interest in Dusty and he poured his psychology, his his mindset, his booking, his everything that he had learned about the business. And Eddie Graham was a, was a genius in this business. And I got to see that firsthand uh, for the five months that I was down there. And every now and then, Dusty would come down to their office where they had the ring set up. But Eddie worked out with me every day. Uh, for three hours, nine to 12, and taught me psychology and taught me uh, stuff that, that 
moved my career uh, light years ahead of what it would have taken to learn that just in the ring every night for 15 or 20 minutes. And uh, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that Eddie took that chair with Dusty and with me because then as we ended up working in the same company and ended up being opponents, a lot of that, that knowledge that Eddie put into both of us, we both reaped and the company reaped the, the benefit out of that. Yeah, and it's so evident in a lot of the guys that came out of there that the influence that he had was just absolutely uh, off the charts, and it really helped spawn so many different facets of so many different careers. And it really is just its a testament to him, not only as, uh, as a booker, but as a teacher, that he was so influential on so many of your careers because it really uh, it helped shape so many people. But, you know, we talk about Dusty as a booker, and obviously that's where we're going to kind of get into the meat and potatoes of the interview, and that is all the time that you guys spent both against each other and working under Dusty. And I guess that's really the next question would be, getting to watch him as a fan, getting to watch him as a colleague, but now actually getting to work under Dusty or work for Dusty, how was that transition for you? Was he somebody who was easy to work for? Um, well, I mean, we had a few run-ins on a few things uh, because I, I uh, was a little strong-headed sometimes about what things worked and what uh, – didn't work, but the thing that was awesome was the respect that we each had. Um, um, my job was to uh, sell tickets and make him look good, and uh, I think that that if you look at most of the matches that we ever had, uh, there were a lot of a lot of tickets sold. And Dusty looked good, and uh, it was uh, all things went together to make a perfect storm. And, uh, you know, I'm just I'm thrilled to have that as part of my, my resume is that, that you know, I, I wrestled him as much as anybody. And I probably, and this is a little speculation on my part, I probably have more wins over Dusty than anybody in the business. I think we need to get John on that stat because uh, I know he was—he had a similar stat that he was looking into of uh, how many different kinds of uh, matches you guys had, all the different styles of matches. So I think that's one, uh, John, that you got to add to your uh, to your palette of, uh, of research because there's some work set out for you right there. But then you know what? We talk about creativity, and Dusty was no—it was no shortage of creativity with him, and I think a lot of that has to do with that larger-than-life persona. Now, if we can translate it to today, I mean, it's kind of it's an easy question, but do you think that larger-than-life persona, that Dusty Rhodes style of persona is what's lacking today in professional wrestling? Um, it's very difficult for me to, to uh, say because I, I'm not that familiar with the product. You know, I mean, the, the, the biggest extent of what I do in the wrestling business is, is follow my daughter. And, uh, you know, and, and me branching out into uh, female wrestling is 
you know, that's kind of uncharted waters uh, anyway. And, um, and it is uh, uh, difficult, but Dusty was probably the most what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, original thinker. And, um, you know, and then, but the good thing about him, he was, is the fact that he knew when to ask for other people's input. And when it was good, he knew to take it. And um, that is is probably the thing that uh, changed in, in changed his image when he became the Booker in North Carolina and took Dory Funk Jr.'s place. The business was not really uh, booming yet, and I know that that we tried Wahoo as a heel for a little bit. And he and I were partners, and uh, I started in February of 1984, and the end of, in August of 1984, the first sellout in the Greensboro Coliseum was Wahoo and I against Mull- Blackjack Mulligan and Ric Flair, and uh, in an uh, Indian uh, strap match, uh, bull rope match, and um, it was a uh, neat thing but the territory they expected a big explosion and it really didn't happen and uh, I don't remember if it was in October or if it was in November but Dusty and I had a meeting and and he said what what should we do to get this thing going because I I had booked for my dad and and stuff and and I said, well, I've always, I've always been told that when you need to get things going, you put the best against the best. And you get it started because once you get things started, then it's easier to, to establish more talent. Does that make sense? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, absolute sense. It's just kind of hard to believe that you even stayed in a match like that, you and Wahoo against Blackjack Mulligan and Ric Flair in a, in a in a match like that, just to think that that today would be, you know, main event anywhere on the planet, to think that that wouldn't be something that would set, you know, the territory uh, on fire is, is kind of mind-boggling. But you guys were in, in a big fight, and that is where the boom began, and that is where, like you said, the big matches well, let me, became. Well, let, let me finish the conversation with it, with Dusty. And uh, he told me that, that – uh, in this meeting when he was asking me these things and uh, he said, okay, you know, put the best against the best. And I said, yeah. And I said, and this was after that Greensboro match. This was, that was in like August and this was in like maybe October ish. uh, And, um, or or maybe a little bit after that, but it, it, he said, Wahoo, is is wanting to work with me and and have a big program and I said I said okay I said I I said that's probably something a little different than and I've never ever 
had promoted myself or anything like that. Uh, and I said, well, and this is almost verbatim what I said. I said, well, I would probably do something a little different. I said, I'd put Wahoo and Flair against each other and let them go beat the crap out of each other. And I said, I'd put you against me, and I could make you look really good. And that's how the meeting ended. And uh, and then in eighty at the end of nineteen eighty four, Wahoo was wrestling Flair, and they were having chop fests. And uh, I was wrestling the American Dream for the better part of the next three years. Uh, there's there's just absolutely so many matches and moments, and uh, I'm going to hand it over to John here in a second. But the last thing I just want to touch on is, like I was about to say, you kind of you guys were in a fight for your life, and the the wrestling wars of the mid '80s were just about to get ignited, and you guys lined up uh, some pretty good soldiers uh, on the battlefield. But you and Dusty together, like you said, the better part of three years, you guys getting together, and was it from the start that you guys kind of knew that there was definitely something special brewing between the two of you? Um, I think that, I think Dusty, uh, when Dusty first took the book and, and was the booker and came in and, and he went on television and was beating people in six seconds and stuff like that. I told him, I said, I said, and I was the TV champion at the time. And, uh, I said, Dusty, I said, you and I need to go because the TV time limit match was a 20-minute match. And uh, J.J. Dillon was uh, – no, J.J. wasn't my manager yet. But anyway, I told him that, that I said, you and I need to go out here in some of these shows and, and go 20 minutes and show the people that you can go 20 minutes because they don't think you can and uh, that turned out to be uh, money in the bank because that that changed everybody's image of him being able to go and put the time in uh, in the ring. And it was not just Freddie time. It was good time. There's probably some uh, video footage of some of those 20-minute matches. And, um, and then it just exploded, you know, and, and, uh, then we, at the start of 1985, we got baby doll and, and went forward with that, that, that was, uh, uh, all dusty. I mean, it was, they wanted me to have a female manager and they were looking for sunshine who'd worked for Dallas for, uh, quite a while. Couldn't find her. And, uh, I remember, Christmas week, we were down in Miami working for Eddie Graham. We did some some uh, special shots to really help uh, down there. And uh, Nicola Roberts was was wrestling there as uh, Nicola the the Lady Giant or something like that. I think that was her name. And uh, I told Dusty, I said she's got to be Baby Doll. Uh, in fact, he and I saw her and then he and I 
went and had a meeting and we almost said it simultaneously. And, uh, it was, it was, it was a, it was a huge boost to the, the territory. It was a huge boost to Nicola and, uh, certainly a, a huge boost to, uh, the Dusty Roads Tully Blanchard feud that uh, was just getting started, and uh, some some of the great great moments, uh, you know, when 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 Dusty got her for thirty days, and when uh, you know we had her put up in a cage, and then we had the stadium matches where the the money was hanging above the the, the ring and uh gosh I can't even remember anymore all the all the different uh matches that we had during that time. And then when when we switched baby baby doll baby face when I slapped her and Dusty came out and defended her honor, uh that was a huge I I saw that on last year on you on Facebook somewhere. Not Facebook but uh, YouTube. And uh Golly, I know that one of my daughters said, did you really hit her? And I said, yeah, I smacked her pretty hard. And, uh, but that was the thing that was, was so, uh, so big about what we did was that what we did was believable. And that's why people still remember it today. Absolutely. And that was awesome. An awesome angle just added to your feud with Dusty. But, you know, you said before you, you do, and i got to look that up. You probably do have the most wins ever against Dusty. And if you look, you might have had his most matches, too, if you look, because for the better part of three years, almost really four, almost stretching into five years, you had matches against Dusty, whether it be one-on-one or multiple-man matches. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I just, I, I just you know, I mean, the, the spots and the things that, that we did uh, – the matches, you know, I mean, we'd split apart for a little while and then come back, and it was, you know, it was a very, very uh, great part of my career and my life at that time. And uh, it's uh, it's too bad that that uh, it didn't continue because I I do think that uh, uh, the wrestling wars would have been a little bit different if they would have uh, kept Arn and I and kept the four horsemen thing going and cause there was there was nothing that that should have ended that stuff but anyway that's a different that's a different show <laughs> we could talk about that show for a long time too but you know with Dusty it's funny um, him and the four horsemen you know while we're talking about four horsemen they kind of go hand in hand. We said it to Arn, you know, would Dusty have been as great without the horseman? Would the horseman been as great without Dusty? And obviously you play a major role in that as well. But what do you think about Dusty and the horseman? Is it just a perfect marriage of you guys? Would it either of you guys been as successful with, without the other? Um, probably not. Um, because, you know, I mean, I, I, I say it like that because it's, it is uh, you. You know the Booker has a has a big uh, influence on that stuff. And since Dusty was the Booker, 
you know, he he certainly uh, kept himself up there and had that ability, but he didn't have the ability to make himself look near as good as we made him look. Perfect sense. And when you think about not only the horseman and Dusty, but you and Dusty, it was almost like the opposites, you know, like the American dream. He's, he's the, you know, son of a plumber and you, you know, you had the, uh, the awesome jackets, the, the fur, the sunglasses, the cars, you guys are almost like destined to have a, you know, an epic feud with one another. Do you agree? Uh, now that you say it, yeah, that was the images that we tried to, uh, tried to project. And that was it. And you mentioned Wahoo. And you teamed with him, obviously, back in 84. You, took, you, know, you and Wahoo against Dusty and Slayer, which seems strange you know, at the time. But it was, felt like Dusty had all these different partners, whether it be Manny Fernandez, even Ole Anderson at one point, Dick Slater. Uh, you mentioned Blackjack Mulligan before, too. It always seemed like somebody and Dusty versus you and Wahoo at that point, but it always seemed destined that you and Dusty would continue and, and continue on and have feuds and feuds. And then obviously the TV title played such a major role. You know, can you just talk about what the television title meant at that point to your feud? Cause it really, you know, escalated what you guys had. The, the TV title changed names when uh, Dusty beat me for it. It went from the, NWA title to the world's television champion and um, which uh, uh, which was fine but it it was you know that that was the uh, uh, you know that there was a lot of emphasis put on that TV title uh, when I first went to North Carolina uh, and then where to and, and the people that I wrestled for that, because I, I had when I first got there, I if you beat me, I gave you ten grand. Uh, if you didn't beat me, or went time limit, you lost. And so that was kind of a little bitty uh, gaga rule that I had thrown in there, so that <clears throat> you know if if I just got to the time limit, I won the match instead of a a draw. Uh, and so. That was just a little arrogant move uh, that that helped lay the the foundation for everything that happened when Dusty came in uh, in in September of 1984 and and uh, the the company changed and Booker's changed and uh, the emphasis of of what would happen changed and and it was just. You know, everything was just, it, it all started fitting together like a, like, a, like a perfect puzzle, if that makes any sense. Definitely. And with that feud, you guys igniting, it's great to look at all the matches and see, you know, where you had it in you know, the classic JCP territory. Obviously, you know, Charlotte, Greensboro, Columbia, South Carolina. But even a town like Philly would see a match against you against Dusty. In that area, was the crowd kind of, turned a little bit like the, the natural thing with Philly where they really cheer the heel and, and Dusty was kind of probably getting booed a bit. Nah, not, not too much, but they were, there were certainly some uh, horseman fans in Philadelphia, but it was, you know, once we'd been up there and reestablished, reestablished our fan base, it was, um, 
you know, the, I think Philadelphia was the only town that I know of where we actually ran head-to-head against the WWF at the time. And they were at the Spectrum and had Hulk Hogan as the main event and everything. And we were across town at the uh, uh, Civic Arena or Civic something or other, uh, seated about 14,000 people. We were sold out. We did like a $150,000 gate. The, uh, I knew the, the athletic commission guy that came and chatted. And at the Spectrum, they didn't sell out, but they still did like a $120,000 gate, which was huge. And um, so, and I bring that up because what basically happened was there were two different fan bases. It wasn't the same wrestling fans going to making a choice between WCW or WWF. You had fans that had got caught into uh, WCW on the Superstation and then following the the syndicated show up there also. Um, and they, we had our own fans. And that was, that was a neat thing that happened. And it happened in Pittsburgh and it happened in uh, Baltimore and it happened uh, all across the, as we were growing across uh, the Northeast. And uh, then when the cable television really started to expand in the late eighties, it went nationwide. And, uh, you know, the better the, the, the TV show time was on the Superstation, the, the better our, our attendance and, and stuff went wherever we were, wherever we were. And, uh, you know, that was just, uh, just huge. You know, Dusty's innovation with TV every week. I mean, we had, we had three hours of live television in Atlanta we had two hours live television for our syndicated show, and that was all original stuff every week. And uh, the the biggest thing is, you know, the and and this this had to be a huge benefit is because all this he had to do was write down four horsemen or Blanchard or Flair, Anderson, whatever, who guys, what guys were going to do the interview. And the interview only had to have a topic. Nobody was writing our interviews for us. And uh, today, and I don't know just exactly, it's speculation on my part, but I think that they have uh, people writing and that kind of stuff that would be just so so arduous to have that originality coming out of one person or even two people, three people to be able to do interviews and lay out matches and et cetera, et cetera, which that's where there was so much, I don't want to say freedom, but it, it, it didn't tax the creativity of dusty or, 
for uh, the people that he was around uh, that poured into him uh, on ideas because we, you know, we could do the stuff, what was best for the company, what was best for the matches, what was best for the, for Dusty, what was best for uh, everything. And, and we set, we, the, the group of heels that we had, not just the horsemen, but Midnight Express and, and uh, the Nikita Koloff and Ivan Koloff and, and, and those guys, you know, they were all tremendous workers and they knew what to do. And you make business and you make money when baby faces are, are making people scream. And you only do that when they're making comebacks. And uh, so that's, that was, we were there in the entertainment business and, and uh, it was, it was a great part of wrestling history to, to be part of that. And I can't even imagine you or Dusty ever being scripted on a promo or being told to say, I mean, <laughs> it'd be a, it would be a little silly, it'd be a little crazy. <laughs> I, I had that discussion with somebody one time. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll but, save that for another day, too. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So, but, you know, looking back at, at your amazing feud with Dusty and just thinking of, you know, two originals, two, the ultimate heel, the ultimate baby face, the TV title kind of going back and forth. He beat you for it at Silver Star 85. Then I have some list of matches here. Ho- hopefully you remember some of them. You guys had a Texas death match, a steel cage match, a bunkhouse match, all in 85 as you're kind of building to yourself. I believe it was in Charlotte taking back the TV title. And that's kind of like the end of it for 85. But you guys had so many different matches and so many well, you know, then, then cool innovations. The, we had the first blood match. And I think yes. that was at Starcade '86 or yes. '87, '86, yep. uh, yep. and yep. then uh, uh, then we had the uh, went through the, the phase of barbed wire matches, which were friggin' nuts. But uh, I don't think we had a, a Starcade. Uh, match that was uh, that was a barbed wire match, but I know we had a ladder match and a and we did uh, we may have done barbed wire in the in the stadium in in the summertime there in Charlotte. Yeah, part uh, of the Great American Bash tour. Yeah, and then you had a barbed wire ladder match too. They make it even crazier. Yeah, and then. Uh, I think that's the one where where he won. If he beat me, he he won Baby Doll for thirty days. Twenty seven thousand people erupted that night, and uh, uh, but anyway, that, you know, I mean, every one of those was uh, a great. It was great to be part of it. It was great to be part of wrestling history. And, uh, you know, I was a very, very fortunate man that Dusty had confidence in me being able to sell tickets working with him. And uh, 
so that's that's where you you got to go, and I ran with it. And obviously, it's a good seller because you guys are having different matches, you know, through the years. I mean, you just keep going back to the feud. It's almost like you got to go back to what's making you the most money. And then you guys have a full rope match, a strap match, a lights out match, no DQ match, uh, Indian death match, Texas death. I mean, so many different matches where it's almost like Dusty's like, I got to go to this well again. You know, me and Tully are, are drawing the money. Me and Tully are bringing in the houses. Did you feel like at that point, like, wow, we can kind of, you know, they can throw anything up against the wall and put me and Dusty into any kind of match and it would work? Um, yeah, I wasn't really looking at it quite like that, but yeah, it was, uh, uh, you know, again, I, I mean, it was, I was very, very fortunate that every time that business took maybe a tiny bit of a lull, you know, Dusty come up with another idea for me and him. And uh, it worked well. Yeah, whether it was for the TV title or for the national title, it always seemed like that was kind of Dusty's go-to. A lot of people would think it would be, oh, Dusty Flair, but really Dusty Tully was like the the big feud. If you really want that, you know, that real blood feud, that real hatred, I feel like people had that extra hatred for you, were you feeling at that time an extra love for Dusty and an extra hatred for you? Well, it was. I mean, the 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 reality is, the Four Horsemen, the dynamics of Flair, Arn, myself, and that the three of us were kind of the core. You know, Oli, then Luger, then Barry. You know that 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 fourth person could kind of rotate a little bit, but as long as you had the the core three of us, but Arn and Flair, everybody wanted to like Flair, and and most people Arn was so articulate and so funny, and and so witty that people really kind of wanted to like him too, and nobody ever wanted to like me. It, it was, you know, I, it was, I mean, I've had too many interviews with too many people. You know, I was kind of the, I was the, I was the, the, I was the, the spice in the soup that kept us a spicy soup, if that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely. And, um, so, you know, it was, uh, you know, the thing with Flair and for the world's title, how many times can you wrestle for the world's title and not win it for more than a week where it affects you? And uh, so Dusty wrestling Flair wasn't your wasn't your go-to match because he was the world's champion at the time. And I could get beat. Does that make sense? Yeah. Definitely, that makes total sense. And obviously, you know, you, Dusty want you know keeping himself strong. You know, he's he's got the pen, the almighty pen. You know, keeping himself strong. But it was good for business, and it was good to keep you and him feuding. And you know, whether it be a first blood match or like you said, a ladder match or a barbed bar wire match, it was always kind of a go-to for him and always a way to make money. And then in '88, it almost brought it back together again over the United States Championship. 
at that point, you know, with Dusty and, you know, the comfortability level and the comfortability factor, are you feeling that, you know, like you just have unbelievable chemistry with him? Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and, but I mean, that's a lot of that is because he had absolute trust and confidence in me that I would never do anything to, to compromise his position and everything that I did was to, to benefit the match, benefit the company and benefit him. And, uh, and so that was, uh, where we, where it was. And, you know, and, and we, we didn't talk about it very often, but I, you know, a couple times over, over the time, uh, and then talking with JJ for hours over the years and, and, uh, you know, JJ kind of shared some of that stuff because he was he was very very uh, close with Dusty and uh, uh, JJ being my manager and, and then the Horseman manager was was kind of a, a good good place for everybody to be too. And the great thing about you versus Dusty, you know, we've named so many matches, whether it be a bull rope match or an I Quit match or you know whatever it is. Something always up the ante, and when War Games came along, and it was Dusty, you know, the superpowers with the Road Warriors and Ellering against the Horsemen and JJ, that kind of up the ante even further. And we always hear stories, whether it be from JJ or even Arn, that those War Games matches were pretty painful. And but you know, innovative oh part my. of the business, crowd loved it, but very painful. Oh my gosh! I mean, I don't know if they did them after 1989. Because uh, I certainly didn't watch it back in those days, but I—I I mean, that very first War Games was stinking crazy. Arn was the first; I was the second. I mean, before the match even started, we wrestled for 20 minutes, and uh, everybody was bleeding, and everybody was beat up, and and then Hawk hit the ring, and. Uh, killed everybody and uh golly it was just uh it was just nuts and uh but it was it was box office i know that when we did it in miami and uh uh the first one was i think was july 4th in atlanta and then we went to miami and went to the orange bowl and uh first time we'd ever wrestled i'd ever wrestled in front of fifty thousand people Golly, it was it was it was phenomenal. And JJ talked about having some injuries. Orrin having had talked about having some injuries. Obviously, JJ had a, had a major injury in that match. But the brainchild of Dusty to kind of come up with that idea and and it really executed it well with the Horsemen and obviously Dusty and Superpowers and the Road Warriors is just a testament to all the guys involved. But definitely. A great, you know, mind for the business, and we kind of talked about it before. Were you kind of surprised when he came up with, you know, something like that, or any of his ideas? Anything ever, you know, surprise you at all? No, not at all. We, you know, I mean, you just took it in stride, and, and uh, you know, they came up with the idea, and then we figured out how to make it happen. So. Such an innovative match. But I mean it was it was an innovative match, the the but still it took us 
Oh yeah, guiding everything, guiding everything that that happens. So, absolutely. Did you have any uh, major injuries? Like uh, JJ obviously separated the shoulder, and and Orrin had some, you know, nicks and and things like that. But did you ever have any major injuries from the War Games match? Oh crap! You, You go look at the video of the first War Games, okay? And Hawk is the fourth guy in the ring. And he's running around like a madman. He'd been listening to people scream for 20 minutes, and he wasn't part of it yet. <laughs> and he came in the ring. He picked me up, and uh, he threw me at a turnbuckle head first. And then uh, you can watch the rest of the match, the rest of the match, the two rings, Whatever ring Hawk was in, I was crawling to the other ring to stay away from him. <laughs> oh Smart my move. gosh, that was nuts! Next time you watch it, you 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 can text me or something. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely will. That's great. You figure you're doing a, a heel tactic, but you're actually afraid of Hawk. <laughs> oh my god. He head first. I hit the turnbuckle, and I don't know. I mean, I I'm fortunate I didn't break my neck, but I mean, it was it was crazy. And that was feud of the year in '87. That whole you know the whole war games thing, the Horsemen against Dusty and and the, and the Warriors and and the Superpowers. That was the feud of the year in '87. So nothing was hotter than that. And obviously, you felt the the brunt of it in kind of a you know a, a vicious way there. But when you're in that kind of, you know, in, in that kind of feud, and, and you know, you guys are selling out everywhere, kind of, what is your mindset? And then, like, what is Dusty thinking as the Booker? Is he kind of just trying to one up himself every week? Um, to be really honest with you, I I don't know. I mean, the only time I ever had really interaction with Dusty back in those days, other than in the ring, was at TV, and. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, it was things were going so well that there was not a lot of pressure on on everybody. And uh, <coughs> excuse me. And whereas, if a territory is not drawing and and you're trying to get fan attention and fan movement and and uh, some some motivation from the audience and stuff, it's difficult. But it was. Uh, you know, when things were cooking, it didn't make any difference, uh, you know, who who you were wrestling. You know, we wrestled Dusty and, and Magnum, or we wrestled uh, the Road Warriors, or, or wrestled Rock and Roll Express, and, and, you know, we were getting ready to wrestle Midnight Express uh, there in 1988 when Arn and I went to the WWF. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was just... It was just the the talent that we had down the roster was just phenomenal. Uh, who's who in in that time period uh, in the ring, and and those guys were. It, it was a joy to go to work with everybody every night, and uh, uh, whoever you wrestled, it was great. And uh, and you know, and and Dusty's the guy that put the team together, and. Uh, and it was it was it was great to be part of it. 
And the great thing about Dusty is, obviously you're talking about his mind for the business, but him being able to see talent in others and see guys like, okay, Arn is awesome. I want to work with Arn. He has a few with Arn. Flair is awesome. I want to have a few with Flair. Tully is awesome. I want to have a few with Flair. But he also sees guys like Magnum TA, and he's like, I want to groom him to be kind of like the next guy. He needs to feud with Tully. Does he ever say to you, hey, I'm grooming this guy. You need to feud with him because I want you to make him look like a million bucks? No. No. I mean, we knew what was going on, but, I mean, right. that, that that discussion was never never had. Because he's, you know, obviously he's a brilliant mind for the business, but it definitely seems like maybe, I guess, without saying it to you, you know, he's, and you guys figured it out, but it's like, he knows who to put with you guys because he knows who he wants to push and he knows kind of the right within there. You know, you guys were kind of the unsung MVPs and, you know, not that he took advantage of it, but he, you know, he really utilized that pretty damn well. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, that's what a booker does. Mm -hmm. And that's what you do by going to work for him. You, you know, I mean, you want to be in, in featured matches and, and uh, you know, that's requires, you know, doing what you do. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I made Magnum look as good as I could make him look. I made, and Arn and I made the road warriors look as good as we could make them look. And, and, uh, the, the Russian assassins who made them look as good as we could look or whoever. I mean, it, it's, it's just, I mean, one of the, one of the greatest matches that, that Arn and I ever had was, uh, the start of, uh, <clears throat> the pay-per-view, the first pay-per-view at WCW, I think it was their first, we were in Baltimore, and they had Arn and I wrestling uh, Nikita Koloff and Sting. And we went 20 minutes, 20-minute uh, time limit. And uh, you'll be hard-pressed to find a better tag team match than that one. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, it, it's, it is... Uh, uh, if if you, my philosophy, my personal philosophy was, if you make the people scream the longest, they'll leave talking about you. And if you're one of the guys they're talking about, you've done your job and you'll always have a job. Makes perfect damn sense to me it's great uh, psychology and, and great mind for the business obviously you know you learn from your father and it seems like dusty learned a lot from your father as well obviously you know eddie graham but it seemed like dusty took a lot of knowledge from your father too well it's uh i i don't know how much they they spent their time i know my dad liked him or he wouldn't have uh given him his first main event and it was a sellout uh i know that i've, I've heard that comment uh a bunch of times and uh so it was uh uh you know I, I, again it was it was probably the most fun time in the wrestling business in the mid 80s when cable television and and uh the companies were going it was just it was you know you went from going from uh uh, little venues, state fairgrounds, to stadiums, 
and uh, Coliseums where the where the Lakers played, and where the Boston Celtics played, and uh, the Chicago Bulls played, and that kind of stuff, and and that was a whole new new place for professional wrestling, and then uh, you know for for all of us that that were making making a living by and and contributing to the product and it was just a it was just a marvelous place and time to be awesome time for the wrestling business awesome time for the fans as well but as i start to wind it down here we've covered so many epic matches with you and dusty we covered so much on dusty we talked about baby doll and how she kind of elevated that feud somehow even more into this just amazing blood feud that had, and she added an element to it. But is there a favorite match that you have with Dusty that sticks out? Would it be Starcade 86, that first blood match, or maybe, maybe something else? Um, the, the first blood match was, was a, when Dusty came out and had my hit, had my name on the side of his head, uh, like a football helmet. And, uh, that was, oh, yeah. that was, cause I didn't know that was going to happen. And I got in the ring and here he came. Uh, but you know, some of those, that, that first blood match was, was a, was a tremendous match. Uh, and, uh, you know, you've got to, you can have good matches and when you were wrestling every night of the week, like we were back in those days, um, you, you didn't have your a plus game every night. I mean, you had your a game, but the a plus game, you know, a little bit of extra, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And, uh, Starcade certainly was one of those little bit of extra type nights and uh the that match just i mean it was just a uh click type setting and uh you know for for uh dusty to lose the first blood match was pretty phenomenal anyway cuz nobody would have expected that and uh uh it's uh it's a pretty memorable, pretty memorable match. Supremely memorable. So many of your matches are memorable. And it is crazy, like you mentioned, like you said, you may have had the, maybe the most matches against Dusty, but you also may have had the most wins. Do you think overall your opponents, would you rank Dusty maybe, you know, as one of the top opponents you've had? Oh, absolutely. He may have been the top opponent. Because you and know, I, I mean, once, once Arn and I uh, became the, the champions and then uh, I became a tag team wrestler, uh, you know, then never wrestled Dusty except in a, in a tag match. And, uh, you know, but through that, that 86, 87 uh, time frame when I was still the – when Arn and Ole and, 
and uh, and then uh, Luger came in, and we didn't really have a tag team match. It kind of, uh, you know, limited Dusty because even though he did some tag matches, he was never had a tag team partner per se. And so then the then the one on one stuff was over with, and then uh, you know we just. You know, we were wrestling the Road Warriors or the Rock and Roll Express or, or uh, you know, whoever it might have been. Uh, you know, and then every now and then you wrestle Magnum and Dusty in a, in a match or, or whatever the case might be. Uh, but, uh, you know, my, my singles career was probably Dusty would be the top, my top opponent, except for you know, maybe 85 because that, that run with Magnum TA and I that led up to the, uh, I quit match was, uh, that was pretty, pretty memorable. There's that memorable is definitely the understatement of this interview because all of this is memorable and all of it is unbelievable. This has been an absolutely unparalleled walk down memory lane, especially with your feud with Dusty. But before we wrap it up, there's just one thing I just want to cover that John didn't get a chance in. You know, just after you departed, you went to the WWF, and Dusty, you know, wasn't that long after, and you guys overlapped a little bit before you then left in at the end of 1989. But was it kind of weird to see Dusty transition back into just being uh, a worker instead of being in a boss role or in a, uh, you know, in a, in a booker's position, just being one of the guys now? Um... Well, we were heels and he was a babyface, so we really never saw him except once every three weeks in uh, a TV. And, uh, you know, I mean, it wasn't – everybody knew what had happened and, and, uh, uh, and I don't really remember what happened, but I know that Crockett, you know, half of the, half of the guys that, that we all worked – for uh, for Crockett ended up in '89 uh, uh, working for the WWF, and uh, Arn and I were just the first ones that kind of did that. So it's a it's a crazy list. We've talked about it with basically everybody now. I mean, Arn, you, uh, Barry Windham, Dusty, Ronnie Garvin. I mean, it was a uh, and JJ even in the office capacity was a. Uh, a who's who of Crockett, but as we wrap it up here, the, the final question would be, when you think of uh, Dusty Rhodes and the fans are going to look back at his life and his legacy, not just as a wrestler, but what he's done with teaching uh, the next generation of stars and so many of the wrestlers today that have had an influence from Dusty teaching them directly, what do you think fans are going to remember about Dusty Rhodes uh, at the end of the day? And when we look back on his career, what are we going to take away from the life and legacy of Dusty Rhodes? Um, you know, I, I think, I think the biggest thing is that they're just going to remember the fact that he entertained them. You know, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's hard to sit here and say, you know, give an itemized list of, of what people remember about you. It's just the fact that they remember you. And, uh, you know, it's, it is, I mean, I've heard people cause it's been 25, 27 years now. Uh, for me, and uh, at some of these legends things and autograph shows and stuff like that, you know, it's it is uh, you know people come up and say, 
you know, I used to, I used to really hate you when I was, when I was younger. And, uh, you know, and I usually respond with, well, that's good. Cause then I was doing my job. And, uh, <laughs> but the fact that they remember, because you think back over our lives, there are so many things that we don't remember anymore, but people, people that Dusty Rhodes entertained will remember the son of the plumber and the bionic elbow and uh, him up there shaking his butt. And that's memorable. And if you can have memorable moments and impact people's lives, then you've done what you intended to do when you're in the entertainment business. That's uh, so eloquently put and so well said. And Tully, this has been unbelievable, and we uh, we have a little bit of uh, two-man power trip of wrestling business to get to here, and that'll be you'll be joining us at the big Wrestlecade convention in November, and we're looking forward to that. And obviously we've got months and months and months to prepare for it, but we're looking forward to uh, hanging out with you and Arn at Wrestlecade in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, on November 25th. And I'm sure a lot of fans are going to be sharing a lot of memories of you and Dusty in North Carolina in Winston-Salem and uh, all the great places that you all wrestled. But we thank you so much for coming on with us tonight and talking about the life and career of Dusty Rhodes. And uh, it was our pleasure. Well, it's, it's certainly uh, looking forward to Thanksgiving weekend in Winston-Salem. Uh, I know I haven't been to that thing for a couple of years. Um, and uh, I'm going to Winston-Salem actually this week to play in a golf tournament at the Forsyth Country Club for that sponsors and raises money for the first tee. And uh, so to go back six months later and, and, uh, uh, and be part of WrestleCade again will be a, a great joy and spend some time with you guys. Uh, good FaceTime. Absolutely. We can't wait, and we thank you so much again for uh... – for coming on tonight because this is definitely uh, a memorable episode to say the least. Well, thank you guys. Bless you both. He could be here in the arena. Oh, no. Dusty, don't touch her. No, don't touch her. No, don't, no, don't do that, Dusty. The lawyer could be right here in the building. Oh, no. It's totally Blanchard. Blanchard has come from behind. Oh, my goodness. but then it was easy at the same time. I mean, you know, most people wouldn't want to go out and have a 30, a 40, or 50-minute match with Dusty because it was difficult to work with it sometimes because it was just, it was, it was just, you worked. And it wasn't like, oh, yeah, just go out there and have a match. When you worked with Dusty, you worked, and, and you worked every single night to get every ounce of energy because look at, look at what we were having to follow. Like if, if we were on a typical card, we followed probably Midnight Express against Rock and Roll Express, and then we would have like Tully against um, Dusty, and then you had Flair 
against Magnum or something in the main event. Now, how are you, you've got to give everything, otherwise people aren't going to remember you. And you know what? People remembered every single match on that card, and that's a testament to Dusty, but then it's also a testament to everybody that was on the card, but no one went out of that arena going, oh, you know, I'm never going to go to wrestling again. They couldn't wait until next month to spend their, you know, $10, $20 to come see us again. And that, you know, that's a testament right there. Dusty had everyone working with the best person that they could work with to bring out cards. And people remember us 30 years later, you know, and, and really have nothing bad about anything to say about us. Looking back, do you think that was quite possibly the best talent roster? We're talking about Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express, The Horseman, Dusty. Possibly the best talent roster of all time? I don't know of all time, but for that time, yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it was – I mean, if you can – and no disrespect to any of the guys, but if you can make meaningful matches with, like, Jimmy Valiant and Paul Jones and Shaska Watley and the hair thing and and just draw that out and bring Big Mama in and, and the whole – you know, scenario of that, and then, you know, having Jimmy Garvin and Patty and, and their whole scenario with that, and it's just, oh, my gosh, there, there's no one bad that you can say that, oh, yeah, they, that, why do they have them working on there? It all keyed in, and it all worked, and it was all, there wasn't a match that you that you could go, oh, I'm going to go to the concession on this match. When you looked at all the cards, like, you know, how they have, like, 30 years to go today or, you know, whatever on the on Facebook, and they do, like, the old wrestling cards, and you look at the old Mid-Atlantic cards from, you know, like, 1984 to, you know, like, 1989, 1990, something like that, there's not a match on there that you'd want to go get something at the concession. You know, you want to see every match, and, and it's not like that now. It's just, it's so different, and, and it's, I'm not dissing, you know, what's happening today, but it was it was just a cool time in wrestling. Unbelievable, especially looking back. It's like, man, these guys are so talented and like so many things stick out. But obviously, you know, the Dusty view with Tully and you kind of being in the middle, that stands out. But also, Magnum TA and, and Tully and what a few they had. And we had a chance to interview both guys and kind of, you know, get both of their perspectives and, and how much they really, you know, didn't like each other. Maybe even today kind of don't really like each other. But what was your kind of sense of being kind of in the middle of that crazy feud? It was very touchy because, you know, like even having the kiss with Magnum and then we went in and had, in, you know, like with Starcade and had the cage match and the whole thing. Whenever they had matches, they actually were so physical. They, they were beating the crap out of each other because they, they literally couldn't stand each other. And, and it was like, you had these two big alpha males in this wrestling office that were trying to be number one, and you've got Magnum that's always with Dusty, and then Tolly, who's trying to be the best he can be for Dusty, but then doesn't want to be the yes man or like, oh, yes, Dusty, whatever you want. Tolly's going to be whoever Tolly's going to be. And so you've got kind of that conflict of like the good son and the bad son. And, you know, both going for the, the rival number one position. Plus then 
they want to have the number one spot on the card too. So they're just and they're neither one is going to back down on each other. And whenever you watch the promo of where you know, uh, Magnum grabs me and gives me the kiss, and then Tully comes out and they're hitting on each other, you actually feel how physical each one of those punches are. You can because they're literally knocking the crap out of each other just to, for the buildup of Starcade and then. Once even that they had Starcade, it almost had to end at that time because one of them was going to kill the other one. It was just that that vicious, and what else were they going to do after that? And then Magnum started his deal with Nikita, I believe, after that. But even after that, it's kind of strange because Tully was married and, and had his wife, and then Magnum ended up marrying Tully's ex-wife, and they've got kids, and Tully's got kids with her, and I guess everybody's like, it's a big happy family now, but oh my lord, you know, it's uh, their history has been intertwined now for the last 30-some years, whether in or out of the ring. I mean, now they've got kids and ex-wives together. It's really crazy how real it was back then, but even, like, you're right, even today it's so real because of the relationship and how, you know, Magnum is you know, actually married to uh, Telly's ex-wife and, you know, the kids and everything. So it, it is it is really crazy. And then you think about an even another kind of addition to you with, with that feud is when basically Tully slaps you or hits you and, and kind of uh, takes you out of the game a little bit because you didn't help him with Magnum. Do you like, you know, did you like kind of turning babyface at that point? Well, it was it was strange at that time because if I remember right, they were actually going to put me with Buddy Landell at that time. But Landell, through his addiction, had disappeared from TV and actually had disappeared for a couple of days. And so Dusty had it worked out where I was, and now this it may be totally wrong and I'm not remembering this right, but I remember that I was supposed to go with Buddy. We were supposed to work a program against Flair at the time, but then Buddy, through his addictions, didn't show up for TV, didn't show up for a couple of the house shows, so they went ahead and fired him. Well, they didn't know what they were going to do with me because really, Tully and I, we had so much heat, there was no more, I mean, what else could we do? So then at that point, Dusty did the complete 180, and instead of just keeping me with another heel, he put me with him, and then we did the babyface run, which to me, it just rejuvenated Dusty 100%. And it was it was so fun working with him, and I just, I just miss him to pieces. And I was so fortunate this past summer that um, I actually got to speak with his wife, and she was at uh, one of the fan fests with me, and, and uh, just... <sighs> I have so much respect for him, and I have so much respect for her, and and I just miss him to pieces, and and it's just not the same going and doing these shows knowing that I'm just never going to see him again. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work and got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years, 
30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt, and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard time. That's hard time. Yeah, I could more than talk about the impact. He was a really close friend of mine. I give Dusty Rhodes, like, if, if I was to tell you who Dusty Rhodes was to me, he was my big brother. And that's a close family member. And he defended me in certain circumstances, but he was mean to me other times. He bullied me sometimes, you know, but it was just to give me character. He never did anything to ever hurt me in the business. Um, but he really made his name here in Florida. And the reason was, is Eddie Graham, like you said earlier, was a genius. In those days, he was such a creative guy. And when he got a character that could go out and have the charisma that Dusty had, Dusty touched the hearts of people during um, segregation, during, you know, racial tension. He would be out there doing promos, and it didn't matter what color you were, you were a Dusty Rhodes fan, and that's because he made you feel comfortable supporting him. He wasn't intimidating the guys going to the wrestling matches because if they're going, oh, wow, that guy looks better than me. I don't want my girlfriend or my wife to like him. I don't like that guy. Like a Jack Briscoe, maybe, just a handsome stud kind of looking guy. Dusty was kind of like a friendly kind of looking guy. He was the kind of guy that you wanted to, to be around. And his promos probably the biggest magic of the American dream. I sat with my jaw sitting on my chin on the table at Gordon Soli's time after time and just listened to Gordon, I mean, listen to Dusty do his promos. And we had to do them back to back. We had like two hours to do seven promos, which covered West Palm on Monday, Tampa Tuesday, Miami Wednesday, Jacksonville Thursday. Friday was either Tallahassee or Fort Lauderdale. Saturday was somewhere around Tampa, like the Sun Dome, something like um, Bayfront Center, Lakeland Civic Center. And then Sunday was Orlando. And back to Monday was West Palm. And he could do his promos without a second take. Boom, boom, boom. And they were all different. I was mesmerized. I rode with Dusty. I uh, I idolized him when I was a young guy because I just couldn't imagine how he had such charisma. And plus his promos were so good and mine were so horrible that I just wanted to be more like him. You know, so I spent a lot of time with him. I got great stories I can't tell you on the air about him, but at the same time, <laughs> but at the same time, he was one of the greatest wrestling characters to ever come through the state of Florida. The biggest name probably from the time he got here right on throughout, but just prior to him was like the great Malenko, Eddie Graham. So he had some pretty big boots to fill and he did an unbelievable job. So I can't, I can't put him over strong enough because if here again, remember Instead of once a week in Hawaii, once a week in New York, once a week in Texas, once a week over here, it was once a week in Florida. Boom, boom, boom. Same towns every Monday night, every Tuesday night. Same audiences, 
sometimes bigger, sometimes less, depending on the time of the year, like school starting. And Dusty was, he was magic. You always wanted Dusty on the main event. Nobody's fighting over the main event, you know. Everybody wants, hey, hope the dream's on the card tonight. So. Yeah. And you'd be riding on the end of a lightning bolt without a doubt. But, you know, hero, you say all that, and you say he's like a big brother, you know, and you said he was kind of like, you know, the guy you looked up to in the business. Do you have a favorite Dusty uh, memory? Because there's got to be so many that can race through your head, but what's one that really jumps to the front? Well, you know, there were so many, and and one that jumps to the front, I'd rather hold back, but the, the second best one is, Dusty liked to be able to get over on other people. And I had traveled some territories where it was pretty hardcore. And there was, you know, you spent a lot of, and I had traveled up in Pensacola out of Mobile working for the Fields family and got around Ken Lucas and Ricky Gibson and a couple of those people. And, got, <laughs> and I learned some things. And one time we were driving down, going down the road. I'm not even sure where we're going, but in the middle of the road on the interstate, there's long yellow lines and there's long there's these smaller white lines. And I already knew the answer to this because of the guys from some either Lucas or Gibson or somebody told me from another territory and I actually got out and walked them off. But I said to Dusty, I said, How long do you think those white lines are in the middle of the interstate here? And he's looking he looks at me like, you know, have you run out of things to talk about? And I said, no, how long do you think these white lines are? And he goes, uh, I'll do my dusty. He goes, hey, baby, these white lines ain't no more than three feet long. And I said, there's no way. I said, them white lines are 15 feet long if they're an inch. And he goes, there's no way in hell them white lines are 15 feet long. They ain't no more than three feet long. Speed limit was 70 miles an hour back then. We're probably doing 80. So Dusty decides we're pulling off. He said, I'll bet you two grand the Tim White lines are no more than five feet long. So he was going to give me a margin, but now he's wanting to bet money. So I said, okay, just get stopped. Pull over. So we stopped probably middle of the night, 1 or 2 o'clock, coming back from somewhere. And he gets out. He had cowboy boots on and no shirt on. He's got his boots, his pants, jeans tucked down in his boots, and he gets out there and he says, one, and he put his other boot in front of himself, two, he got to like 12, and he's going, man, this is some good shit. And as we get to like almost 15, he looks at me and he goes, oh, man, we got to pull this on a bunch of people. All of a sudden, he's turned what my two grand was for reward of having it 15 feet into, we're going to get other people with this. So, that was just kind of a simple story about Dusty, but he was a great guy. I mean, you know, funny, he he just did things different than any anybody else I was ever around. And he always had the ability to make me smile. Three days before Dusty passed away, he called me, and he left an answer machine message on my phone. And I'll just tell you basically what he said was, Hey, baby, I just wondered about you. Hope everything's good. I know you're all right. Having a good time with them grandchildren. I love you. Talk to you soon. And then I sent a picture 
of me and him back to him, texted. I didn't even talk to him on the phone, but I sent a picture back of me and him where he's in a tie-dye T-shirt, and he's got his arm around me, and I've got some belt on, and we're just standing as young guys, you know. And he wrote for Eddie, and he sent back to me, said, I love that tie-dye T-shirt. <laughs> I'll send the picture to you, and that way it proves what I said. Anyway. <laughs> Let me tell you something, too, Holly Race. If you want it one more time, I don't want to go to St. Louis. I don't want to go to Chicago. I don't want to go to Philadelphia. I don't want to go to Louisiana. I don't want to go to Texas. I want to whip your butt right here in Georgia one more time. You understand? That's all the dream got to say right now. I'm going to be back in a minute with a big victory, Jack. There you have it, the comments from the world heavyweight wrestling champion, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. Dusty is one of the, the few guys, and there's probably just a few, that to this day, I, if he walked, God bless him, out on my deck where I'm sitting right now, I would just sit here with my jaw on the ground thinking to myself, God, what a big star he is. Um, I feel that way today. I feel that way uh, my entire career and the first time I ever met him. I was just starstruck. He's one of those rare individuals that it just comes out of his pores. And uh, Dusty Rhodes was never Virgil Runnels. Dusty Rhodes was always Dusty Rhodes. And it wasn't something he put on in the morning and took off at night. He was... That's who he was, and he was a huge star, and uh, he was a creative guy. And uh, one thing, one thing, Dusty knew better than anything is Dusty knew how to program a show with him at the lead, and he should have been in the lead, and uh, sell some tickets. And uh, I learned a lot from him. I learned just being in the by osmosis, just being in a match with him, elevated me. I know that. And uh, I saw it happen to a lot of guys, and uh, he was something special. There will only be one, that's for sure. Definitely true on Dusty. And do you think that the Horsemen would have gotten kind of as big as they did without Dusty being that perfect foil for them? I think Dusty needed the Horsemen, and the Horsemen needed Dusty. I agree with that 100%. Then you filter in uh, the Rock and Roll Express, and you figure in, you know, all the other players, the Midnight Express, you, you know, Ronnie Garvin, you name it. Everybody that uh, that was in that era that was contributing, the Road Warriors, my God, you know, we had a lot of lot of packed houses wrestling those guys. Uh, it was just one of those when you got Brad Armstrong and Tim Horner in the first and second match. As good as those guys were, you know, it was just loaded, top to top to bottom. Uh, you know, the Russians, it's incredible. Incredible amount of talent came through Jim Crockett Promotions, that's for sure. I'm not here as the American dream tonight. I'm here as Virgil Runnels, and I, and I want the McMahons to hear what I got to say. Is Triple H said, hey, by the way, if you don't beat Randy Orton, you lose your job. You're out of work. You're on unemployment line because that's what's best for business. Having two sons you are proud of, 
two sons that you love with all your heart is what's best for business. No, I mean, uh, what you just said, the last thing you just said is, is the reason for his success. Um, as a performer, he made the fans around him feel really good. And in the context, you, you know, we're speaking and doing an interview. He made you guys um, feel really good. My dad had a link to the fans. He had a link to, to his colleagues, his peers. He just had a link. And uh, it was very entertaining to witness uh, from, a, you know, sitting out in the stands. And it was very entertaining to witness if you were in the ring with him or in you guys case speaking to him on the phone he just he has a link with people um anything that was you know a people pleasing industry he could have uh he could have really excelled at he would have been an excellent preacher uh he probably could have been the president of the united states if had they just let him write his own speeches i mean he uh he just has a connection with with people, and I think at the heart of it all, it's very simple why. It's genuine. Um, wrestling is about selling tickets and then selling tickets because they had a good fan consumer, you know, experience at the time. In my dad's case, I don't know if it really was ever about selling tickets as much as it was about just, just making people feel happy. That made him feel happy. And, uh, that's why he did it for so long. It, it was just genuine. There's so many con artists and shakedown folks, in, not just in wrestling, but in show business. Uh, show business is a shady, shady industry, but he was uh, the least shady individual you'd ever meet. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, nice guys don't always finish last. And, you know, Dusty certainly didn't. Unreal, and just, you know, Mount Rushmore, if you could put the Mount Rushmore of professional wrestlers, you got to put Dusty on there for sure. And, you know, was he a big influence on you actually getting into the wrestling business, or did he not really want you to kind of follow in his footsteps? I think um, it's difficult to say because he, he told me, you know, he verbalized to me he did not want me to be um, a pro wrestler. He wanted me to be an actor um, or anything else. He wanted me to take my scholarship offer I had to go amateur wrestle. And he wanted me to be anything else. But he also knew I had, um, just from fandom, that I had a love for it. And um, he would bring me around it. So when you're backstage and you're around some of these larger-than-life characters, um, guys with spiked shoulder pads, guys painting their face, these huge men, these, these colorful, elaborate costumes, the just overall pageantry, the pyro, the production. I mean, what the hell else are you going to want to do? Um, and I just, I just fell, I fell for it. Uh, and um, he knew that. So he would say, hey, I don't want you to do it. But he didn't put up much of a fight when I told him, hey, I, I actually really want to give this a true true undivided attention and give it a true run uh he he helped make it happen uh for me and then he uh as soon as he helped open that door for me he stepped back and you know never he he did not really have much 
measure on my career after that as far as like input he was no longer on the creative team he he wasn't at developmental with me we did some stuff together from time to time and you know he got he helped give me my first break on television with randy orton but uh that was one of the great things about him is he let me he let me do my thing and he didn't want me to bleach my hair blonde or do his elbows or try and you know talk like he did he 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 actually was going to told me, he said, you should dye your hair black and just be mean as a snake and just be the absolute opposite of me. Um, so, yeah, no, there's uh, just thinking about him now, man. I just get super misty eyed because I just I'm, I miss my father so much and wasn't ready to lose him. Um, but that's, you know, that's what happened. And some of these arenas and buildings I've been in lately they remind me more of them than anything um so it feels it feels good to have a connection with them uh like that again absolutely and you know the amazing legacy that he left behind but all that advice and that influence that he had on you how do you kind of use that looking forward you know looking into the future how do you use his advice so you know what I was kind of saying this in the last my my last answer and and uh maybe a better way to i i didn't use his advice so much in his uh life but in his death i've used his advice considerably more it's kind of one of those what would dusty do situation and uh, i found myself asking that a lot and uh and you just have to i think his gut was similar to my gut and uh, maybe I didn't follow my gut for a while there at kind of the, you know, my latter days at WWE. So to be able to follow my gut, uh, just that that reminds me so much of him because my dad was not a overthinker. He was not an overanalyzer. You can ask a lot of the guys who went through his communications class at NXT. Um, it was, uh, he wanted to make you feel comfortable because when you're comfortable and you're speaking, that audience is also comfortable or you're going to make them uncomfortable as much as you can. You know how, how that all works. But, uh, I just, I just hope we have a similar gut and I find myself in a lot of those, what would Dusty do situations? And, uh, it, I don't, I don't do so much what Cody would do anymore. I, I've <laughs> lately been doing a lot of what, what would Dusty do? Now, I, I read in another interview, it said that he kind of gave you advice years ago. Obviously, you didn't follow it, like you said, until he ended up passing on. But, you know, the, the advice of leaving the WWE, was that, you know, was that really something that he wanted? Was that just something like, yeah, you should think about maybe doing it to your career? Well, um, I think it's hard for people to believe this. Um because it just all comes out after the fact that I'm no longer with WWE, but uh, he was very firm about it. Actually, he uh, we had the discussion in Miami um, at, at WrestleMania because I was very disappointed in the direction that I was going, and uh, and he thought that would be best because at the time he was thinking more of a leverage standpoint. Like, well, you know, if you if you if you put your foot down, essentially. Uh, if you if you man up, um, if you feel you've been slapped in the face, slap them back in the face, and 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 you leave. They'll know what they were missing. And uh, he was speaking both from 
a business standpoint, but also because I was his favorite because I, I mean, like as I was his son, you know, and he's speaking from a dad standpoint as well. And, uh, that's why I didn't take it because he's a, that emotional connection to it. I, that just seems, you know, like too much of an emotional decision. And then I look back at it and I, I'm glad I didn't actually ask for my release then, but there were times that came after that, that was definitely moments where I should have said, okay, you know, things are not, um, I'm not getting closer to my goal. I'm getting farther away. And the best thing to do is maybe take a step back and, uh, and take all this in. Um, so yeah, no, that was something he was very firm on after WrestleMania in Miami. He, he, he wanted me to, I don't even remember what his plan was. I think he, he always would say, you just go to LA. I think he thought if, if you just go to LA, you'll just, you're guaranteed to get a, a part, which is not the case at all. And hmm. incredibly difficult. Um, but he, uh, that was always his plan for me. On Sunday, July 9th, a brand new Raw exclusive pay-per-view debuts at the American Airlines Center. WWE, Great Balls of Fire. It is time to represent a new era of champion. The Beast Incarnate, Brock Lesnar. Absolute dominance personified. Defends the Universal Championship. Brock is back and on top of Raw. For the very first time, it's WWE Great Balls of Fire, live Sunday, July 9th. Tickets are available Friday, May 5th.